when faith-based organizations and leaders put the kingdom of God above their organization's mission, what happens? What is possible when women and men pursue collaboration over competition and alliances over divisions? This is the Rooting for Rivals podcast, a six-episode series released in coordination with the new book, Rooting for Rivals, by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey. Well, welcome to episode three of the Rooting for Rivals podcast, the third episode in a short series highlighting leaders pursuing collaboration over competition. In this episode, we look at how open-handedness has played out in campus ministries through the lens of the Every Campus Initiative led by Tom Lin, InterVarsity's president, and Steve Douglas, the president of CREW. This collaborative effort between two of the country's largest campus ministries is an example of what happens when people pursue building God's kingdom together. We're talking today to Tom, and he provides valuable insights into his own journey of moving from a lone ranger mentality to a bias toward partnership. He will also give you examples of how you can build friendships with leaders at other organizations. But before we dive in, I'm here once again with the co-authors of Rooting for Rivals, Peter Greer and Chris Horst. Peter, will you share a little bit more about Tom and his background and why you invited him on the show? Well, Tom is not just a guest on the podcast. Tom is also the one who wrote the foreword to the book. And in crystal clarity, he captures the essence of the book in a couple pages in a wonderful way. So even if someone doesn't read the whole book, if you just read the foreword by Tom, you're going to get the essence of the book. And Tom really shares his personal journey about being a solo operator to having uh, an approach that is more about the kingdom uh, than about his organization and the way in which he has entered into relationships with others uh, who are leading other organizations. And, And it is really clear. It is really compelling. And we are so grateful for Tom and his willingness uh, to, to open our book in this way. And it's not just that Tom has written the foreword, but I also have had the incredible privilege of being part of a small group with Tom. And so every year uh, we have the privilege of getting together with a number of different organizational uh, leaders. And I have seen Tom live this out, uh, not just in, in a small way, but really in doing everything that he can to encourage other leaders of other organizations And so we are so glad that we're able to have this conversation with Tom as someone who truly does live out the principles of rooting for your rivals. Well, Tom Lynn is president and CEO of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Prior to becoming president, he was vice president of missions and director of InterVarsity's Urbana Student Missions Conference. He is a serial entrepreneur and ministry planner and began his InterVarsity career by planting new student chapters at Harvard and Boston University. Then from 2002 to 2006, Tom moved to Mongolia, helping plant a Christian student movement and serving as the country director for the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students there in Mongolia. He's an author and speaker and serves on multiple boards. He has a degree in economics from Harvard and a master's in global leadership from Fuller Seminary. Tom lives in Madison, Wisconsin with his wife, Nancy, and their two daughters. So without further ado, here is our encouraging conversation with Tom Lynn. Well, Tom, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. My first question for you is about your motivation for campus ministry. What motivates you to be involved in campus ministry? Oh, great question. I've, I've been involved in it for 
25 years now. And the same reasons as I started out in cannabis industry are, are still hold true today. Um, I think it's, it's the most strategic time to reach people with the gospel. And so there's, um, whether it's, uh, a first year college student who's coming in, uh, clear about what they want to accomplish in their life or, a college student who has uh, no idea. It's it's a time when they're preparing for future vocation, where they're open to new things, uh, where they're searching for answers to major questions in their lives. Um, so it's just a strategic time to be reaching them and to be ministering to them. Um, it's also most strategic, I would say, uh, for the church uh, as campus ministry uh, shapes future leaders for the church. And we believe we're a part of um, sort of equipping the next generation of leaders for the church. And that, you know, we, we take that call seriously in campus ministry. Um, and then lastly, I think it's just strategic for shaping society and our, and our culture. Um, as we think about shaping those future leaders, those people who will uh, impact our society, um, Whatever we're able to teach them during those years um, will have dramatic impact on society and our culture. So, um, so that's why I'm I'm still involved, and that's why I got involved 25 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, and 25 years ago, as you write in the intro to Rooting for Rivals, it's been interesting to track even in that intro your journey of seeing yourself more as a lone ranger at the beginning uh, and a trailblazer, where um, you know you, you mentioned starting things, but being, um, maybe more prideful about the things that you were starting and seeing your ministry a little bit through the lens of yourself and being less, uh, less concerned with, with collaboration, but over time have really grown to be a leader in this movement of, of collaborating with other organizations. And at one point you, you talk about how you and your, your wife, Nancy, uh, you were being asked to direct a summer program and, and the phrase was being asked to co-direct it. And at that point you were having a hard time getting your arms around what it would look like to co-direct, uh, to co-direct something. But now, I mean, you are all about the posture of collaboration with other organizations. So what changed in your journey to get you to a point where you pursue collaboration with others? Yeah, a lot had to change. Uh, I definitely, uh, would say that I, I didn't have it out for my rivals, but I wasn't uh, very inviting for those uh, who um, were sort of doing ministry alongside me. And um, I was very much a Lone Ranger. Uh, I didn't think I needed other people's help, nor did I want it. And uh, God had to change a lot in my life. And I would say the two biggest changing influences, one was... Uh, bringing me to the country of Mongolia. Uh, the Lord called me kind of in the middle of my ministry life uh, to go to a place around the world, halfway around the world that I was not familiar with, didn't know anybody there um, to start some new ministry there. And it was a season of isolation. It was hard. And I realized there's a lot that I could not do on my own. I mean, I couldn't even I couldn't even teach the Bible or do ministry um, those first couple of years because I didn't know the language. And um, I remember thinking, how can I be effective at all? Um, and what came to light during those years was actually 
there are a lot of people who can help me along the way. There are a lot of people who want to be in this with me. There, um, there are a lot of people I could learn a ton from. And so during those years in Mongolia, uh, we worked with uh, different ministry organizations, church denominations, um, Bible training schools, uh, all to accomplish the mission that God had for us, which was to start a student Christian student movement in Mongolia. But it meant working with all these partners that I'd never worked with before. And we joke around, it took God sending us halfway around the world to, to produce that kind of change. You would have thought I could have figured it out in the U.S. Uh, the second thing I'll just say that was a major change for me was coming back from Mongolia, uh, one of the roles that I ended up in was directing the Urbana Student Missions Conference and really being in charge of stewarding this conference of, you know, 17, 18,000 North American students who are discerning their call to global missions. And in that role, just I became more aware of the gifts of the majority world church um, the, the ways that there's an interdependency in the global body of Christ. So we need each other. We, we need to learn from each other. Uh, and in many ways, Urbana is an example of rooting for rivals. It's, it's, uh, if you've ever been to, and if anyone ever has the opportunity to go to the exhibit hall space of Urbana, it's a great example of rooting for rivals. People from different organizations, there for the same cause. People from different organizations mentoring students and saying, hey, you know, we don't have what you're looking for, but that organization over there, that's a great organization. Why don't you go talk to that person over there? Or um, just cheering each other on, rooting for each other, again, for a bigger cause, which is to see these young students mobilized for global mission. So that, that was a big turning point for me as well, Urbana. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the book, Rooting for Rivals, is really structured around the seven deadly sins and how seven deadly sins personally and organizationally can keep us from pursuing the collaboration like you've seen at Urbana and, and in Mongolia. And I wonder if there's anything specific to, to campus ministry uh, that is a barrier to partnership within the space that you inhabit with your ministry. Yeah, I think there are some unique challenges, though, um, you know, I wouldn't want to say that other organizations don't face it, uh, but I'll share what comes to mind. I think one challenge in campus ministries is these, what I call the, the scarcity mentality that prevents generosity, the scarcity mentality that prevents generosity. And, um, and, it, and it comes about, about a lot because Many of the campus ministries are organized around a traditional fundraising model. So there's always the sense that, do I have enough people who are supporting my ministry as an individual missionary? Um, uh, you know, there's a sense of a fixed pie versus, I would say, a um, unlimited or, or, or kingdom pie. Um, so we, we tend to think in campus ministry, there's a fixed pie of students. So therefore, if one other organization has... Um, these students over there, I, therefore, that's less for me. Um, when actually, if we look at the whole campus, the need is tremendous. There, there's definitely um, uh, nowhere near the amount of, of uh, concern. Um, there shouldn't be the level of concern around 
not enough students, right? So the but there is that that's the scarcity mentality. Will I have enough? Um, there's a fixed pie, and therefore, if these other sister organizations and ministries um, recruit and invite all these students, then there'll be less for me. Um, and we see that happen in funding as well. If 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 these supporters end up supporting that ministry, it means there'll be less for me. And so, I think that's that's one uh, unique challenge that. Um, is also a lie or false, but it's it's a challenge that plays out. Um, another is uh, many campus ministries are decentralized organizations. So essentially they're on the ground. There are free agents making choices um, with their time, what they do with their time. Uh, and so what happens is even when organizations want to partner with each other at the national level, even if my counterparts, presidents of other organizations, we say, all right, we're in this together. We're going to root for each other. We're going to partner together. On the ground on campus, often, uh, you know, young campus ministers are making their own choices and making choices that sometimes are counter to what we're hoping for in terms of partnership because, again, maybe the scarcity mentality creeps in. Um, so I think decentral, being a decentralized organization um, sometimes uh, plays into that as well. Um, and then lastly, I think it's just a temptation to over-prioritize the distinctives over the commonalities. Is you know there are there are many campus ministries and organizations are tempted to overemphasize. Well, we're unique in this way. We're quote unquote better because we do this or we do that. Um, and I think we spend. Uh, we not enough time at all focusing on our commonalities. While we we all care about discipling students, we all care about caring for these students well. You know, there are so many commonalities that um, bring our organizations that can bring our organizations together, but we don't spend enough time focusing on those. You are a part of an intentional group of people who have come to overcome these challenges through uh, an intentional effort through the Every Campus initiative. Why did you start this initiative and how did that come to be? Yeah, I think um, I'll share some background. I mean, number one is we we wanted to say that uh, those unique challenges that we think we have are false, right? That the scarcity mentality should not exist. There is not a fixed pie. Um our God is a God of generosity, and if we look at if we look at things from a kingdom perspective, there's more than enough. There's an abundance to go around. We want to say that it's false that our distinctives are so strong we don't have any commonality. So I think we wanted to make sure that that was said. Um, just to backtrack a bit, uh, InterVarsity started a a visioning process for our future about a year and a half ago. And uh, as we discerned uh, and dreamed together, sort of the national leaders got together. We actually um, went to uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators headquarters to kind of discern just as an offsite meeting. And uh, what we were led to was we, we felt like we needed a vision bigger than InterVarsity, bigger than just ours. Like, what does it look like to have a kingdom vision, not just an InterVarsity vision? And it was... When, once we got to that, we began dreaming much bigger. What does it mean to um, how do we care about all campuses in the country? And 
we started the Every Campus because of both that heart and the sense of God's leading, but also because we looked at the gap. We, as our data showed that um, <clears throat> there are 2,500 campuses in the U.S., university, colleges, campuses, that have over 1,000 students. And the eight largest campus ministries are reaching um, only 1,200, less than 1,200 of those 2,500. That means less than 50% have any significant witnessing community on those campuses. And so that broke our hearts. And we said, we got to do something about that. It's not gonna, not an university thing. This is bigger than university. How do we rally other organizations, other partners, other friends to help us accomplish this much bigger vision? Um, and then I'll just uh, end by saying, you know, I think that every campus initiative we wanted to start it because this generation uh, of students and recent graduates expect collaboration. I mean, they expect collaboration. They, they think, they, they wonder, why, why do you all do things in silos like that? Why does every campus ministry kind of do their own thing? There's an expectation for collaboration, and I think the Every Campus Initiative is something that they would almost assume, of course, of course you would do something like that. That makes total sense. Hmm. So. Can you share a specific story that has been good fruit from the Every Campus Initiative? Yeah, um, well, maybe I'll share it a, a couple different ways. I mean, just uh, a good story first. I mean, when we're just at the very beginning of it, by the way. We're actually, in some ways, only have launched this year, officially launching around this time, you might say. Um, <clears throat> about a, nine months ago, uh, 10 months ago, um, we, we learned that crew you know, a sister ministry in the campus space, um, discerned a similar vision, a heart to um, see gospel movements on every campus in the country. Well, once we put our heads together and decided we want to do something together, one of the first steps was um, having the national director of of campus ministry for each of the organizations. So um, for, for InterVarsity, his name is Jason Thomas, and for Crew, it's Mark Gauthier, um, for them to demonstrate partnership on a platform. And Crew took the first step by inviting Jason Thomas, who's over in campus work, to the Crew National Staff Conference. So you've got thousands of Crew staff gathered for their, um, I don't know if it's annual, I think it's a biannual meeting. Um, every two years they gather. And Jason Thomas is given time on the stage. I think he had seven, eight minutes to actually give his greetings for um, his counterpart at Crew to say how much InterVarsity is affirmed and to bless him, to pray for InterVarsity, and then for Jason to pray for Crew. It's a wonderful display, partnership. And, uh, and at the end, there was a standing ovation, a standing ovation wow. for Jason being there and sharing. And then just tons of people afterwards commenting to their crew supervisors, their inter and their intervar and to Jason Thomas and to their university friends, that that how much they appreciate that this is amazing. Like we should have been doing this a long time ago. Um, and uh, this past January, university returned the favor, and we invited Mark Gauthier up on stage uh, at a at a planting conference that university hosts. Uh, we had Mark go on stage and Jason interview him. So. Um, I think that's just a powerful start to 
what we think this could look like going forward. Um, practically speaking, I'll just say one fruit that's come already is the website everycampus.us. So Crew University uh, has been working on it. We've invited other uh, ministry organizations to come in as well. And it's basically a prayer platform, a, a online platform which we hope which we hope will mobilize prayer for every campus in the country. You can sign up and eventually you'll be you'll get delivered to you sort of uh, prayer requests from different campuses or you'll you'll find out which campuses have no one on them. you get some information and be able to pray for those campuses. Um, there'll be a map that's that'll be operational this fall, and I think some sort of open data, um, an open data source kind of format where you can actually enter in real-time data that you might have on certain campuses. So we're excited about that, and that's just one practical thing, everycampus.us. And of course, at the end of the day, we hope the good fruit is, you know, hundreds and hundreds, you know, 1,300 campuses that currently have no major ministry there um, having one. Uh, and and that, that's, of course, is the fruit that we hope to see someday. And we are already um, seeing some of that develop. Even this past year, dozens and dozens of new campus plants that are they're happening, um, many of which are the result of this vision to see every campus reached. Hmm. Yeah. And this, this vision that you collectively have is something that happens in the context of relationship with leaders of these other campus ministries. And you and your wife, Nancy, spend time with these leaders, with other campus ministry leaders, I believe it's twice a year over a weekend, as you wrote in the book. And I just would love to know the nuts and bolts of what some of those conversations look like. How do you structure time with leaders of other organizations that share a similar mission? Yes, it's a real gift. Uh, twice a year, the presidents and spouses of uh, the six largest uh, campus ministry or youth organizations come together. We do rotate hosting it. And this has been going on for two decades now, more than two decades. So it's not something that you know I invented or just put together. This has been going on for a while. And, and it's been fruitful. I mean, because of that longstanding practice. Uh, it's led to some deep relationships, trust relationships between organizations. Um, <clears throat> when uh, we gather together, usually most of it is sort of intimate sharing, sharing uh, how our lives are going, our family concerns, organizational concerns, all in confidence. It's nothing, nothing that we share leaves that room. And then prayer, prayer over each couple. And that's really the three quarters of the time, the bulk of the time is all that. Um, in recent years, we've spent probably about of a quarter of our time or maybe a little bit less sharing um, our common struggles and best, as well as our best practices related to um, sort of strategic endeavors, whether it's how can we improve the way we relate to our boards, how can we... Um, better tackle this issue or that issue and lockstep with each other? How can we better um, resource each other if you have needs in this kind of training and I have needs in that kind of training? So so we do set aside some time for sort of the practical sharing of best practices 
and things that we might want to work on together. But most of it is personal prayer and care for each other. Mm. And I imagine, I imagine there are leaders who are listening to what you're sharing and desiring that, but just don't have that yet that they hear about these weekends and would love to experience the type of camaraderie and collaboration that you're experiencing there. And even an initiative like every campus sounds very appealing to them, but maybe they just don't know where to start or how to even generate that type of movement among other organizations in their space. So to those leaders, what would you say are some, some good first steps towards creating a greater culture of collaboration in a shared territory for lack of a better term? Well, I think a couple things come to mind. I think you, you've got to start at the place where you acknowledge you can't do it alone. I mean, I think collaboration always sounds like a good idea, but it's actually a lot of work and, um, and really is not worth it unless you first arrived at the point where you said, we, we, we need others, we cannot do it alone. Um, I would say, uh, you know, uh, another aspect of that that's related is um, it takes dreaming a bigger vision first, uh, a bigger kingdom vision than just, as I shared, uh, limited to your single organization. Once that bigger vision is set, then actually I've seen it'll compel us to collaboration. It'll compel us to build strategic partnerships. It'll compel us to interact with others because we need to learn from them. We need help from them. We need support. Um, we want to encourage others. We start thinking kingdom mindedly and, and we want to be a part of sort of other people's endeavors as well. And so, so I think it, it, it does mean developing, dreaming a bigger kingdom vision that'll compel us I think, to want to collaborate. Uh, and the last thing I'll just share is we've also got to start with relationship. So I think sometimes leaders, they get excited and they just want to jump straight to the nuts and bolts of, all right, like, um, you know, let's say, for example, we've got 1,300 campus on reach. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about it. How are we going to tackle it? Let's divide it up. You take 100 and we'll do this and you'll do that. Uh, but we've got to start with relationship. We've got to start with, as in our example, the presidents or some some leaders of the organization coming together, um, developing trust with each other, connecting with each other, um, sharing our lives with each other. Um, and I think that's critically important. And, and almost every organization I've seen wanting this um, has been able to do it. It, it, it just, you've got to initiate, you know, initiate those relationships, reach out to your sister organization and say that you want relationship. Would you, would you get together with me, with us, with this group? Hmm. That's, that's great. Thanks, Tom. The last, last question for you is about a rival organization. So can you share with our audience, a rival organization that you support and why? <laughs> Uh, I've, there's too many. <laughs> I've got too many organizations. Um, maybe I'll, I'll approach it from different angles so I can get them all in. Uh, the uh, I think generally we support, I support all the campus ministries through our publishing house. So we've actually, InterVarsity Press, IVP, which is a part of InterVarsity, we've um, recently in the past year announced a discount. I believe it's 30% or some figure like that to all campus ministries. You just need to be working for another campus ministry and you'll get the discount. 
And so it's our way of saying you're, the work you're doing is important. We want to support that even financially through our publishing house. Um, specifically, um, another way that I think I feel uh, compelled to support these other organizations uh, is by uh, resourcing them through sending our people to speak or to interact or serve those organizations or to invite them to come to university. And so, for example, my first uh, meeting with vice presidents, uh, actually, this is shortly after we established our sort of clarifying our vision, I invited the Youth for Christ president, Dan Wogelmoth, to be a keynote speaker and share about Youth for Christ and share about their vision uh, with my senior leaders, with all of InterVarsity's vice presidents and senior leaders were in a room, and uh, Dan was the first person I had talked to them. So I could have had uh, any other speaker. I, I could have spoken. I could have had another internal person speak, but I asked for Dan specifically um, because I wanted to say we support what, what Youth for Christ does. Uh, we've done the same for other ministries. So recently in the last month, Baptist Campus Ministries invited our national evangelism director, his name is Doug, uh, to do training for them and to speak at their national gathering. Um, so, and then I've already mentioned how we're working with crew and in this, in the every campus initiative. Um, I think a single organization that I will say I support that's outside of campus ministry that might be interesting to fo for folks to consider is Wycliffe Bible translators. Uh, so Wycliffe, you might say could be considered rival in the sense that, you know, we compete for church's attention. We compete for funding from, from various common friends and funders. Um, but I love supporting Wycliffe because the Bible translation that they do is the front of the pipeline, you might say, for all Christian ministries. They, what they do, um, we build on later. Uh, so you need the Bible in order to minister in our space. And Wycliffe you know, works around the world in producing these Bible translations that then can be both church planters can then use them. Organizations like ours can use them. So that's why, you know, I support Wycliffe. And uh, I think if we really have a kingdom mentality, um, we should support an organization like Wycliffe. Well, Peter and Chris, after Tom has shared about his journey toward collaboration and what's been possible through every campus, what are a few of the things you think listeners can take away from what he shared? I, I loved the way that Tom models in both what he says and, and in how he leads this posture of thinking small and praying big. There's this this moment that you see in Tom's journey, and, and it's really named in the forward, too, where he, he begins to stop thinking about the grandiosity of unity across the church and partnering you know, in, in every campus around the world, and, and really begins with thinking small and saying, who are the people in my orbit who I should build a relationship with? And, and then he encourages us to do the same, to, to not, it, it's not as if we don't care about the big ideas, but in order to get there, to see the institutional partnerships we hope for and collaboration that's really earth shattering, uh, we have to start small and think small and build from a relationship. And then secondly, we have to pray big. And you heard that throughout all of what Tom shared and this every campus initiative that is really, really powerful that came from praying big and recognizing 
that that their mission extended beyond as university, their mission extended beyond the campuses they were serving alone. Yeah, and and, and as as uh, Chris said, it's not just that he's talking about these things, uh, but he is prioritizing uh, time with other leaders, other organizations, right. and uh, one of the ways that we see this in Tom's life. Um, is is even the way that he spends his time. And uh, he talks about how much of his time is not about his mission, but about helping other people accomplish their mission and right. their calling. And I love that shift of approach because what is the, what is the primary subject of the conversation? Uh, in leaders like Tom, we see that there's a shift between the primary focus being on I, my, <laughs> and it shifts to you and your. And ultimately, he does this because his theology says there is no such thing as other teams within the body of Christ. There is only one team. There is only one mission. And so let's tenaciously pursue that. So I love even the pronouns that he uses. It's a shift from I to you and from me to we. And that is a powerful shift in perspective. The other thing I think is is powerful here in this story is, is Tom recognizing the, the weight and the influence of his organization. And I do think that when an organization like InterVarsity says we're in, and you saw this after the launch of every campus, that there were a lot of other organizations that said, well, if they're in, we're in. And I do think there's a certain element of risk taking within our work as leaders where we need to take that step, even if it feels risky, take that step, do it in friendship, uh, do it with big prayers. Uh, but, but it's, it's the sort of thing that once, once you go public with these intent, uh, with this intent, it, it can create something really special and you can draw in people who see it from afar and say, well, we've always wanted to do that too, but I didn't know how and we're in too. So I think sometimes it takes an entrepreneurial risk taker to take that first step and, and then other people rally around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Our hope is that collaboration is contagious and, uh, that there, there is the power of example and the power of invitation. So our hope is that what we just heard from Tom, that this becomes normative, uh, among all sorts of different Christian organizations and churches, all sorts of different, uh, approaches to whatever their cause is, there's much more collaboration and partnership um, as we see in Tom. Thank you for listening to the Rooting for Rivals podcast. Rooting for Rivals is a book by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey that reveals how faith-based ministries can multiply their impact by cooperating rather than competing with others. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. For more information about this episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show, visit www.rootingforrivals.com slash podcast.